tonight. Before we get into the meat of our lesson, I just want to go back and review. It has been a couple of weeks since we've been looking at the Ten Commandments because of singing night last week. Uh, so let's go back to Exodus chapter 20. And we'll begin reading at verse 1. We'll read through verse 17. The giving of the Ten Commandments. In Exodus chapter 20 and beginning with verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, and the jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor. And we also looked at, at how these are summed up in the New Testament in Matthew 22. And just looking at verses 37 through 39. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And verse 40 says... That on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And interestingly enough, as we go through the Ten Commandments, you'll notice that the first four apply to the great, greatest command in regard to God. Loving God. And the last six regard our treatment and love for man. And those are just some of the basics that we've looked at. We have begun looking at the different commandments and how they are reinstated in Scripture, how they are reinstated in the New Testament. And tonight we're ready for, I believe it is the seventh command. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 14. You shall not commit adultery. Adultery is a relationship that, in which at least one parent or one participant is married to someone else. And as we look at the, the New Testament, we understand that adultery is 
sin. It's not something that is done away with. As we look at the, the, the Ten Commandments, all but one are reinstated in the New Testament. And adultery is still listed as sin. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9-11. through 11. Adultery is the only reason for which the innocent party is allowed biblically to remarry, according to Matthew 19 and verse 9. And should one remarry for any other reason, it becomes an adulterous relationship. Adultery was, under the Old Covenant, punishable by death. And it's important that we look at these punishments because it tells us of the serious nature in which these commandments are given. Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 10. Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 10. The man who commits adultery with another man's wife, he who commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress, shall surely be put to death. And as we look at the New Testament, we understand that it is reinstated as a command of God. Relationships of this nature were meant for marriage only and for no other reason outside of the marriage bond. Matthew 19, and beginning with verse 4, we read this. Matthew 19, and beginning with verse 4. And he, Jesus, answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made, made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let not man separate. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning with verse 1, Paul writes to the Corinthians here. 1 Corinthians 7, beginning with verse 1. Now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does, and likewise the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. This type of relationship is meant for marriage only. And as it is meant for marriage only, we find that the Scriptures define marriage as honorable. Even in the New Testament, marriage is held to be honorable. Hebrews 13 and verse 4. Marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Galatians 5 verse 19, we find that it is a work of the flesh. Now the works of the flesh are evident which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, and so forth. 
In Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 32 we read this. Proverbs 6 and verse 32. Whoever commits adultery with a woman lacks understanding. He who does so destroys his own soul. Adultery is committed in in different ways. Some of those being by entering into a marriage after an unlawful divorce. By committing fornication while married and while unmarried with the married partner. And even lust within the heart is equal to adultery according to Jesus. In Matthew chapter 5 beginning with verse 27. Matthew 5 and verse 27. Here in the Sermon on the Mount Jesus says this. You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It is also possible, as we understand from Scripture, to commit the sin of spiritual adultery against God. Spiritual adultery is is very much akin to uh, physical adultery. But it is transgressing God's command. It is turning uh, against Him in some way. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 2. 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 2. For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. We are the bride of Christ. And when we transgress His commandments, whenever we turn against Him, whenever we turn away from Him, and we turn to sin, we have committed adultery against God. Something else that we find in regard to this sin is that both physical and spiritual adultery are rooted in a love for things of the world. They are rooted in a love for things of the world. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. 1 John 2, beginning with verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. We need to love God more And in that way, whenever we love God more, we will not turn against Him. In the same way with man, when we love man, we do not transgress against them either. Number 8. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 15. Exodus 20 and verse 15. You shall not steal. Stealing. Stealing is taking property belonging to another. It's something that does not belong to us. 
even stealing for what is believed to be necessity. Uh, sometimes we may have occasions where we think that we just cannot survive without thievery. It is addressed in Scripture in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 30 and 31. Proverbs 6, beginning with verse 30. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy himself when he is starving. Yet when he is found, he must restore sevenfold. He may have to give up all the substance of his house. It's a very serious matter. Even in times where it seems like it is necessary, it is still against God's will. And as we look at this from an Old Testament perspective, we understand that restitution was required of those who had stolen. Look at Exodus chapter 22. In the first few verses of Exodus chapter 22, beginning with verse 1. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it, he shall restore five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. If the thief is found breaking in and he is struck so that he dies, there shall be no guilt for his bloodshed. If the sun has risen on him, there shall be guilt for his bloodshed. He should make full restitution if he has nothing. Then he shall be sold for his theft. If the theft is certainly found alive, or in, alive in his hand, whether it is an ox or donkey or sheep, he shall restore double. Restitution needed to be made. And in that same light, we see even today that some sort of restitution is required of those who have been caught stealing. This is restated, reinstated in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 7 verse 12, we have the golden rule. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. And certainly stealing, among other things, would fall under that command. But also we're reminded of Matthew 22, where Jesus tells of the greatest commands. One of those being that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. We're not going to steal from ourselves. Even if we could steal from ourselves, we wouldn't do it because we should love self more than that. And we should love neighbor more than that. Stealing can be armed robbery, burglary, shoplifting, even taking materials from work without permission, bypassing company policies to gain services, dishonesty, not paying off debt, and even kidnapping. We find that we can steal a person just as well as we can steal a thing. And as we look at stealing, I think it's worthy of mention that it is possible, it is very possible for us to steal from God. In the last book of the Old Testament, in Malachi chapter 3, beginning with verse 8, Malachi 3, verses 8 and 9, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes? And offerings. 
You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. They were robbing God in the things that they were offering unto Him. And just as Israel did it, it is possible for us to do the same. Are we stealing from God? Are we robbing God in our giving? Not giving as we can or should. And what about our worship? Is it possible to rob God in our worship? Such as in not using our talents whenever we have them. Not offering to Him the worship that He desires. Not offering worship from the heart. Lip service instead of heart service. Those things will be robbing God. And we should not be guilty of them either. Number 9. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 16. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Punishment is given in... Deuteronomy chapter 17 and also in verse or chapter 19. Look first at Deuteronomy 17 beginning with verse 6. Whoever is deserving of death shall be put to death on the testimony of two or three witnesses. And you'll recognize this. This is the way that Jesus was tried also. And when he was tried, they had to bring false witnesses against him. And there were. There had to be two or three witnesses, and they brought false witness to convict him. Whoever is deserving of death shall be put to death on the testimony of two or three witnesses. He shall not be put to death on the testimony of one witness. The hands of the witnesses shall be the first against him to, be, to put him to death, and afterward the hands of all the people. So you shall put away the evil from among you. In chapter 19 of Deuteronomy, verses 16 through 21, if a false witness arises against any man to testify against him a wrongdoing, then both men in the controversy shall stand before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who serve in those days. And the judges shall make careful inquiry, and indeed, if the witness is a false witness who has testified falsely against his brother, then you shall do to him as he thought to have done to his brother. So you shall put away the evil from among you. And those who remain shall hear and fear. And hereafter they shall not again commit such evil among you. Your eyes shall not pity. Life shall be for life. Eye for eye. Tooth for tooth. Hand for hand. Foot for foot. And this is just basically the sin of lying. False witness against another. But this is reinstated in the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 25. Therefore putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. And of course Revelation 21 and verse 8. Some of you may remember the song. Revelation 21 and verse 8, But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, 
murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. It seems almost out of place in regard to some of the things listed here. Murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, liars. Liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone. It is also akin to slander which is forbidden in 2 Timothy chapter 3. In verse 3. And the last of the commandments, number 10, Exodus chapter 20 and verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. The Greek word that is translated as covet, is defined in vines as to fix the desire upon, whether good or bad, hence to long after, to lust after, to covet. We're not to covet our neighbor's things. And this is reinstated in the New Testament. In regard to idolatry, Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 7. Colossians 3, verses 5 through 7. Therefore put to death your members, which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. These things we are to put away from us, including covetousness. It is the opposite of contentment. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Hebrews 13, verse 5. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We are to be content with what we have. And if we are content, then we do not covet those things that do not belong to us. We also find that it leads to the destruction of the soul. It leads to the destruction of the soul. Notice what is said in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. 1 Timothy 6, beginning with verse 9. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. It leads to destruction. Covetousness leads us to destruction. And again, we find its roots in the things of the world. 
We have many examples in Scripture, just a few of those who were guilty of covetousness. Achan, in Joshua 7, in verse 21. You may remember Ahab, in regard to Naboth's vineyard, he coveted Naboth's vineyard in 1 Kings chapter 21. And probably one of the most famous cases of covetousness is David with Uriah's wife. She was not his to have, and yet he coveted her in 2 Samuel chapter 11. And we know all of the sins that followed covetousness. Some were even murdered because of covetousness. Cain murdered Abel, coveting his relationship with God. Genesis chapter 4. Naboth was murdered for his vineyard. 1 Kings 21. We mentioned a moment ago. And Joseph. Joseph was almost murdered because his brothers coveted his relationship with his father. These things they could not have. And yet they coveted them. And we have one word of encouragement. Well, maybe more in Scripture, but one for now. Going back to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Let's look this time at verses 6 through 8. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse, verses 6 through 8. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. We are not to covet those things that do not belong to us, and especially things that we do not need. Let's be content with what we have. God has supplied us with our needs. He has supplied us with needs in abundance. Let us be content with those things that God has blessed us with. And let us be thankful always for what He has provided for us. And that brings us to the end of at least this lesson. And we'll move on to the tabernacle, I believe it is, uh, for next week. And we'll look at that, how that relates to the New Testament as well. But I do thank you for your kind attention. And certainly we always offer the Lord's invitation. And tonight is going to be no different. We never know the minds and the hearts of those that are gathered. And maybe it is that you are in need of responding to the Lord's invitation in some way. If not through obedience and baptism for the remission of sins, maybe it is that you need to come in repentance. Maybe you need to come back. Maybe you've not lived in the way that you should and you desire to return to God. And if that is your need, then we certainly want to give you the opportunity to respond. As together we stand and as we sing.